Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the September 30th episode, and as always, we are dedicated to answering those important fantasy football questions to help you win your weekly matchups. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRand. And today we have someone I have admired greatly for many, many years. We have him now on the podcast to talk on the mailbag, Dwayne McFarlane, at Dwayne McFarlane, Mr. Context Matters from PFF, does amazing work at PFF. He took a break from the utilization report to join us today. He does the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast with Ian Harditz. He does the Fantasy Football Hustle Podcast with Brian Drake. Just constant, great content written or podcast for you each and every week. Like I said, follow him on Twitter at Dwayne McFarlane. Dwayne, it is an honor to have you on the mailbag. How you doing? Oh man, I'm great. Like I was telling you before, I'm honored. I'm, I'm actually way back. Like I, I used to write for Rotoviz, so um, like an article or two. So not a lot, but it, it was a cool one. <laughs> but folks, he's being modest. Before we started recording, he was dropping Lorenzo Talaferro on this podcast. So get ready. We're going deep on some names today. This is great stuff for the diehard Rotovizians. This is fantastic. Obviously, Dwayne, you're killing it at PFF. You joined them in August. Uh, the podcast that you do, fantastic info. You pack so much into a robust answer and give great arguments using data. I'm a math major myself, a data guy at heart. So talk to me about how it's going. I love to have you here because every Monday I listen to that PFF podcast with Ian Hart. It's with a bagel and coffee. It's like clockwork. So how is it going and how'd you get to the path where you are right now? Yeah, man, it's growing. It's it's going great. Like um, I'm I'm living the dream you know, right now. So I've, I've, I've been in the corporate world for my whole life. Um, you know, my degree was actually in education, wow. but I, I got into the healthcare side of uh, the world early on in my career. I actually started off working for a pharmaceutical company and then at some different opportunities led to really working for a company um, that had an arm that was completely dedicated to data and analytics. So we captured all this data um, from from about 55% of the hospitals across the U.S. And then we would transform that data into actionable insights for our consulting team to, to use, or we would put it into tools that the hospitals would just use, um, you know, from a self-serve perspective. And so it was always about trying to figure out how to help them, you know, manage costs, manage, you know, outcomes, um, efficiency, all that type of stuff. So um, I had always really been a number and a data you know, data guy, you know, as well, even though I'd been in sales before. And so it was just kind of a 
that job really helped me. I just learned so much. I just learned how to hone my craft and I ended up leading a product team. So I ended up leading um, all of our supply chain data and analytics for this particular company for that were focused on hospital supply chains. So we had different parts, you know, focused on different areas of the hospital, mindless supply chain. And um, man, I just learned so much about products, about strategy, about all these things. And it honestly, it's one of those deals where I don't think I could do what I'm doing today I couldn't have done it 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Like it's like all these experiences stacked up to put me like in the situation that I'm in now where, um, you know, my love for football has always been there, but my love for data and analytics was always there, but now I'm way better at it. And then adding on like product and understanding like how to look for what is it that what's, what's really the unsolved problem in the marketplace? Like what, and if it's unsolved, like, do people care about it? You know, is it something that people are going to be interested in? And so honestly, Twitter is an amazing tool. I use it for testing concepts to figure out what people like all the time. I'm constantly putting stuff out there that could be in the next utilization report. Nobody knows, but I'm just seeing how people are responding to it. Like, is it something people are into? First thing I do, right, is go look at it, you know, in the data and say, okay, do we think there might be something here? Is this something that potentially correlates to actually helping us win fantasy games? Is it, or is it more of like a tertiary like data point that's more just help support like a really a main data point? So you know how this stuff goes. You dig into a lot of these things, and um, you know while the research is all fun, it's it's not like um, you know every time you go do this research, you land this huge finding. You know what I mean? It's just so. But there's the journey, and you're always learning along the way. So. Yeah, man, it's just been a situation where I'm very fortunate um, in the way my career path worked out. And now to get to be with Pro Football Focus, I'm very thankful. Those guys are awesome. I wrote the utilization report last year. I just did one article a week. I did some preseason content for them, but the utilization report was really my primary thing. And um, it did well. And I really got along with George Shahiri, who's um, you know the CXO there, um, Austin Gale, who leads all of the content team and editing teams. I just hit it off with those guys and um, you know, I love their culture. I love what they're about me and hard. It's like, I mean, I feel like we're brothers, even though I'm like 15 years older than Ian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he could almost like, he could nearly be my son, but he's a great <laughs> guy. It's just, a, it's, it's a great team all the way around. Andrew Erickson. I mean, all of them, it's, it's a really good culture and I love being part of that team. You know, it's great. It is about the journey. I remember taking data sets when I was in college and grad school and doing regression analysis and hoping that the data was correlated. And what it is, it's like the light goes on. Like, yes, I got a connection, but it's not always true. You mentioned stacking. I have to bring this up, Dwayne. That's quite a stack of poker chips in your Twitter picture as well. So I assume that you applied math to poker also. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love poker. Like, I, I love any kind of... I just love, I love games yeah, yeah. period. You know, I've always been that way. Um, I was that way growing up. Like whenever I was young, like, and this is going to eight, this is going to really put like an age on me. Um, but video games, like when I would play football, you know, games on like Sega or whatever, yes. they didn't even track your, they didn't even track your season long stuff. I know. So, like I was <laughs> such a nerd. Like I would write them down after each game and like, and there wasn't even, sometimes there wasn't a schedule. So I would just look at the schedule for the season and I would play the schedule out and I would keep like all the stat. I mean, just stupid stuff like that. So I was always into this stuff, even when I was a kid. And then my dad was a great influence on me. Like we would, we would watch football together. So I'm from Dallas and the Cowboys were terrible when I first started watching super, uh, football, but they got 
really good, really quick in that short period of time. And they went on to win the three Super Bowls. And so that's like always been a connection between me and my dad, but I was always fascinated by him. We would be watching the game and like before a ref would throw a flag or anything, he'd be like, that's holding or that's this or that's that. And so I was always just like, how does he know all this stuff? Like, how does he, and even though he wasn't like somebody grinding film all the time, he watched enough football and he's a smart guy. Like I was just, I was, I was intrigued by it. I was like, wow, there's so much more to this game than like what I think I'm seeing. Like he was watching the offensive line back when nobody watched the offensive line, except like, you know, coaches grinding film, like, you know, like Pat Kerwin later came up with take your eye off the ball. Right. And that's a great yes, book. Everybody yes, should yes. read, you know, but my dad was like, do my dad was doing take your eye off the ball, like 15 years before the book came out. Awesome. And so he was a great influence on my life. So Dwayne, I have to ask you, Josh Gordon, has been signed to the Chiefs practice squad. And I put this on Twitter the other night. Josh Gordon is one of the most talented receivers I've ever seen. We still love that season mm-hmm. back in 2013, 1,646 receiving yards, just in 87 receptions in 14 games. But he's on the practice squad. Is there going to be fantasy relevance with Josh Gordon? McCole Hardman does not appear to be a consistent answer. The Chiefs have now lost two games in a row. Josh Gordon, thoughts? Yeah, the way I look at Gordon is – just like the key, the Chiefs are doing as, you know, a fantasy manager, depending on the type of league you're in, how deep it is, you may kick the tires on it, but don't set your expectations too high. Yeah. Don't spend a lot of your fab. I mean, you hit all the salient points. I mean, he's 30 years old. Mm-hmm. He could still have some gas in the tank, but it's not like we haven't seen Josh Gordon get to play with good quarterbacks just recently. I mean, he's played with Tom Brady. He's played with Russell Wilson, and he's had some okay games. Mm-hmm. But he's not really been a consistent, you know, fantasy producer in those situations. Now, you could argue Patrick Mahomes is an upgrade versus either one of those. And I mean, I guess you could maybe win that argument. Um, I mean, Brady looks as great as ever, right? He's not really having issues. And we know Russ is good as well. Um, But, I, you know, the Chiefs do need something. I don't know that Gordon's really going to be that answer, but it's not like they have a lot of money to use to go try to find the answer. And so I think he's kind of the best option they can have. Um, if I was playing in something like the FFPC, the NFFC, um, I might put a men bid on him. I built so many of my teams though, anchor. It's like, I don't, I don't really need it. And maybe that'll keep his price super, super low. But I, I know, and I said this on a podcast the other day. And so hope nobody takes it wrong. But like when you play in those events, like if you go to them and if you watch them, like, look, it's a lot of older dudes with money. They remember Josh Gordon being good. So who knows how much he's going to go for in some of these leagues. It's, it's wild. Like I've seen in some leagues, you'll see restraint. And then others, it'll be like, oh, Josh Gordon just went for, you know, 30% of fab. Up, oh, nope, I'm out on that. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so I don't think we'll see that quite as much this year because there's so many anchor and zero RB builds that I saw across those formats. Um but yeah, I, I would consider him like a wide receiver five, wide receiver six for now. If you want to stash him at the end of your roster, do so. But I definitely wouldn't spend like over 5% of my fab. Jameis Winston versus Taysom Hill. No pun intended. I'm going to die on this hill. My argument, Dwayne, is that Jameis is going to revert back to, as Mike Francesa used to say here in New York, the back of his card. And the turnovers are going to come. Even the video on Twitter this week of that ridiculous lob pass to the end zone saw him high-fiving his teammates as he's coming out of the game and then Sean Payton looking at him and saying something to the effect of what the heck was that. I think Taysom Hill is going to be involved. I understand that there is no comparison in terms of the quarterback ability. I get that. I just think there are limited weapons on this team 
and that Taysom brings a dynamic that Peyton is going to need to take advantage of. Do you think Winston's going to keep this job, or do you think as the year goes on, we're going to see more and more Taysom Hill? I think it goes to Hill. I mean, um, that's where I really stood before the season started. I think Jameis, you know, forced, you know, he came out and had a great game, you know, in that one preseason game where he and Callaway really connected and showed some rapport. Um, and I think that won the locker room over and kind of forced Sean Payton's hand. Um, but I think to your point, like if they're, if the saints want to have a chance to be competitive this year, they, it's, it's not going to be in shootouts. Like they're going to have to manage the game scripts. They're going to have to try to manufacture points any way they can. And I think Taysom Hill just fits that role better. And as far as fantasy goes, look, it's Taysom Hill or bust. Like we've seen what Jameis is like, you know, um, he needs to throw five touchdowns on his 120 yards. Guess what? That's not happening again this season. So mm-hmm. Jameis Winston's not really rosterable at all, um, even in the deepest formats, unless you're in a super flex, in my opinion, um, you know, for the rest of the season. Should we just put out a Spider-Man gif of Alvin Kamara pointing to DeAndre Swift? I just looked this morning. DeAndre Swift in PPR format, I believe, is the RB3. That's got to be the quietest RB3 that we've had in quite some time. But his talent is certainly there. I think Dwayne... Jamal Williams is actually number 10 in PPR. I honestly, I think DeAndre Swift was going under the radar and it seems like he's coming on at just the right time. Yeah. I mean, and, and for Swift, what we're seeing is the way he's being utilized, this can continue even if Jamal Williams, you know, gets work. So if you think about, um, you know, the coaching roots, right. That apply to this, you've got Anthony Lynn who has, who dealt with the Austin Eckler slash Melvin Gordon split, you know, in the past. And they were both, they had, they were both productive and then you've got Dan Campbell coming over. Well, he was with the Saints, so he saw what it was like to have Kamara and, you know, Latavius Murray. I think Ingram was actually before his time on that, you know, squad. But they so you've got two coaches that understand and they and the coaches, you know, sometimes coach speak is valuable, sometimes it's not. Like we've had a couple examples of this offseason, like Mike Williams, they were telling the truth. This situation, they were telling the truth. They talked about truly having both backs involved. They talked about an A and a B back. Um, if you look at the B back in both of those situations, it was Kamara and Eckler. And guess what? That's exactly the role DeAndre Swift is playing. Um, you know, week one, it's like, I just saw it, you know, um, 63% of the, the plays, you know, he was in a route yep. that week. Um, and, you know, so if you look at, if you look at PPR backs, you know, between 60 and 70% routes and at least 40% of the attempts, which is where he's going to be, you know, since 2011, um, you know, the finishes are, 16, 3, 4, 5, 9, 1, 3, 5, 1, 2, 3, 9, 3, 1. Wow. I mean, look, it's just, it's, there are these certain equations in fantasy football that work. <laughs> and when you're getting enough routes and you're at least going to get 40% of the attempts and you're going to likely be targeted 20% of the times targets per route run, like that's, that's definitely a magic formula. And right now Swift has got it going. I will note there's one note of caution on Swift. This last weekend, he lost the two-minute offense um, to Jamal Williams. Surprising. And before that, he had owned all the long down and distance. So for me, long down and distance is third down and three or more yards to go because in 90% of situations, teams pass. You know, so I look to see which backs are getting the most of that work. Mm-hmm. And then I look to see, because sometimes it's different. A lot of times it's the same sure. player, but a lot of times it is different. Who's getting the, the role in the two-minute offense? And so that had been pretty much all DeAndre Swift to this point. And if you look at the Lions and think about how much they're going to be trailing, it's going to be a typical script. 
and that insulates him actually advances his fantasy um, you know, upside every time they land in that trailing script because that just means as the game goes on, the first two drives, it may be even split. Swift, Williams. By drive three, it's a little more swift. By drive four, a little more swift. By yep. the time you get to the fourth quarter, like you only got Jamal Williams out there 20% of the time. Yep. And so this last week, um, Williams did take more of that work. Now we don't, there weird things can happen. Like, you know, maybe, you know, Swift was dealing, you know, with some sort of an injury we don't know about. Maybe it wasn't feeling well. You, you, you never know. So I always want to see another data point, but that definitely made my antenna go up because if he loses that roughly 20% of a, uh, running backs, PPR targets, not PPR running backs targets, doesn't really matter the mm-hmm. format. <laughs> 20% yeah. of a running backs targets come in the two minute offense. Mm-hmm. About 20% of it comes in long down and distance. About half of it comes on first and second down. So if if he loses 20%, right, of his targets, that will definitely hurt him. Absolutely. That's a great call. That's why a lot of these backs have been able to succeed. You know, J.D. McKissick, for example, had a terrible week one. Then week two, he comes back with a vengeance. Two-minute drill, that's when you're going to – and oftentimes I would think, Dwayne, the stats would show – they get them in bunches as well. You know, you can see a situation where a guy gets three or four quick targets at the end of a half and can really change his weekly fantasy output. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. So the, you're hitting it because the, the plays, the number of plays that occur right in that two minute offense is it's, there's more of them (laughs) because they're running at warp speed when they're in that style of offense. Um, The other thing that you're, you know, you're bringing up a good point on, um, the targets in the two minute offense are worth roughly five to 10% more Ah, than your normal targets. So you're getting more of them in that period. They're actually worth a little more because of the way the defense is playing, you know, they're getting more yards after the catch because the defense doesn't want to give up the big play. Right. So there's a lot of different variables going on that lend to two minute offense being something that's pretty valuable to backs, especially in PPR formats. Yes. That two minute defense, Dwayne, I'd like to call that the San Francisco defense against green Bay last week week where Aaron Rodgers was able to complete two bombs to a potentially partly concussed Devontae Adams going down the field. I think that's what you're referring to. Yep. Listen, Dwayne, give me two stats that mainstream fantasy football, one that that you feel they overrate and put too much value in, and one that you feel really is still underrated that uh, your your common fantasy football player may, may need to pay a little more attention to. Yeah. So for me, it's really all raw stats are overrated. Like what I want to understand is why is a player getting certain, Mm -hmm. you know, raw stats, you Mm -hmm. know, and raw stats can also include targets and they can include carries. I'm talking the next layer down. So we just talked about an example, like what I'm far more interested in than any raw stat is I'm interested in these converging, these converging points around different players and player positions that really have historically shown to matter. The other thing I'll say is by understanding players roles, Um, And this isn't always true. You know, you have to break down each team and that's what I do in the utilization report. But you will notice there are a lot of teams that look, you have a two minute back, you have a long down and distance back, you have a short down and distance back. So if I can look at a game and say, here's the range of outcomes for this game. If this game goes this way, A, what is DeAndre Swift's going to score? And let's say A is the Lions get blown out. And then I can say more of this, what if the game is close? Now what does that split look like between Williams and Swift? What if the Lions blow out their opponent? Now what does that look like for these two players? 
because their roles are actually the most static part. Like when you look at their percentages, they get of these opportunities. The only thing that changes is how many of those opportunities come up in the game based on the script. And so those are the drivers. Now it does not work with every team. Some teams, like when I look at utilization and I'll write it in my report, I'll be like, the only trend I see here is I have no freaking clue. Like what's going on? Like I don't know what these coaches are doing. It's just complete randomness. I'll continue to monitor it. We'll see if something comes up. Um, But like, like Miami, the way they use their backs, like it's befuddling to me. I I can't get my arms around it. They change it every week. Um, So, you know, it doesn't always work, but when you find those situations where it does work, like that's what I'm the most interested in. So just a couple of quick ones. Uh, We already talked about running backs, right. And the routes that you need to see along with the minimum number of rushing attempts. And there's archetypes for backs. That's one archetype, right? There's three archetypes that I have. I won't go into them all now, but what I'm looking for are these these converging points where I've got two to three data points telling me this is really how the coaches see this back. This Mm -hmm. is how he's going to be used. And then you continue to monitor it. Talent's always a huge part of the equation and can change the way a player gets used that's the beauty of the utilization report is I'm monitoring for those trends to change. And what's cool is a lot of times you'll see it changing before the raw production happens. Cause you'll see these small, you'll like what you want to see for Antonio Gibson is you'd love to see, man. Oh, wow. Look, Antonio Gibson's now up to 30% of the two minute offense. Mm-hmm. That would be, that would be a signal to say it could be coming right mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Gibson, but we haven't seen that yet, but I'll give you one other one. So tight ends, for example, what you want is a tight end that's in a route over 80% of the time, you know, uh, the team passes. People are like, what do you mean? Like in a route? I mean, you don't, A, they got to be on the field, but once they're on the field, you also don't want them to be blocking. Yes. So if you go back to 2011 and you look at tight ends that are running a route on at least 80% of their plays, right. And they're getting targeted at least 20% of the routes that they're running. You pretty much get a top eight tight end. If you up that to 22% targets per route. Now the elites are just to give people reference points, targets per route run for tight end are 24, 25%. Sometimes you'll see 27 and 28s, but that's when you start getting into the Travis Kelsey, the Darren Wallers, uh, previously the George Kittle years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the sort of thing you're looking for those converging points. Now, remember the equation is really on a slider. So look at Logan Thomas. He doesn't get 20% targets per route run, but he's out there 95% of the routes. Mm -hmm. So he just needs to hit like 17%. So it's where these different converging points happen. um, And there's different ways that the math can work out to saying, okay, this can actually be a tight end that should be top eight this season. Um, That's why last week I was all over guys by Mark Andrews, by Mark Andrews, by, 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 by seeing more routes than he's ever seen in his life. He's a 25% target per route run player over the first three years of his career. That is not changing. He's talented. He deserves targets. He earns them. And now he's running more routes than ever. Like he's going to be a top five tight end. It's happening. Yeah, that's I think that is such a great and crucial point that there are some stats individually that are okay. But if you can bring in other statistics and combine them, which I guess, you know, some people don't want to do, they say, I don't have time, this and that you want intent and you want opportunity. If they're out there and they're running routes, that is critical specific, particularly at tight ends. When we're looking for hashtag late round tight end, you want to make sure that you have a guy who hits those multiple marks. I think that's a critical point. You wake up in the morning, Dwayne. What's the favorite type of morning juice? We have cranberry, orange, grapefruit. Sean Siegel came at us with pineapple. Where do you go for morning juice? 
Well, I mean, we are talking fantasy football, so we should rank them probably. I would say it goes orange juice, cranberry, pineapple, grapefruit. I do like them all. I will drink them all. Grapefruit is my least favorite, but I have, I think it's like my granddad used to love eating grapefruits. Like, so yes. I kind of developed, it's like, you know, when you first go to college or you're in high school and you develop your taste for beer, I developed a taste yeah. <laughs> for grapefruit juice. And so I do like it. I just don't drink it that often. From an analytics perspective, for your seasonal league teams, maybe Scott Fishbowl or whatever, was it anchor RB for you? Which it was for us at the number one pick. For, for the majority of the first round here at Rotoviz, we are still zero RB, which has received much criticism, but I think has been hot again. Where were you with your seasonal leagues in terms of your strategy? Yeah, so for this, and I'll say this. I, I love all the different strategies that are out there. And I love thinking about different ways to apply them. That's what I love about a lot of the work that you guys do. Um, I love anytime someone challenges the norm and causes you to try to think about something differently. What I'll say is I, I still approach every draft season as a new, a new venture. And I'm still, and I, based on what I see around ADP and where I see pockets of value at different positions, that is really how I build my draft strategy. I drew, I, I build my draft strategy from the back end up, meaning where are the areas I believe that between rounds six and 12, I have the best shot at hitting on players that will be second and third round picks the following season. And then that really dictates how I want to handle, to some extent, the first two rounds. This year, it did very much work out where I believed that anchor RB was the way to go. I had a couple of double barrel RBs. Um, I've got 29 redraft teams. 25 of them are with the FFPC. Um, I think I started off with two backs maybe 25 to 30% of the time I triple barreled it only one time. Um, and it's when I, you know, Clyde Edwards, Alaire fell back a little bit in the third round. So I went ahead and pulled the trigger on that one. Um, but yeah, it was anchor RB for me this year. I just felt that, um, and I'm, and I am like you guys, like I wrote it up, you know, uh, for, um, pro football focus that really, for me, the, the top three picks were definitely, the backs and I had Aaron Jones ranked fourth, but I really, once you got to four, my advice was go with Devonte Adams, yep. go with Stefan Diggs, go with Tyreek Hill, go with Travis Kelsey. You could go with Kelsey at three in that in FFPC format um, because it's tight and premium. Heck you could go with him at two, but the idea being is really go after the receivers um, in that middle, in those middle spots. I was a complete fade on Zeke. Um, I was a complete fade on Derrick Henry, which he's doing great, but I don't, I still don't think Derrick Henry is going to finish is going to make me upset whenever I own Devonte Adams, yep. you know, at the end of the season, I still feel like Devonte Adams was the, or Diggs or Hill for that matter. I still feel like they were the smart, you know, decision given the fact that I think I take on less risk, you know, per, you know, all the research Sean's done with that pick. Um, so yeah, anchor really was my path this year, but I do change it up and I'll say every draft can be different, man. You, you gotta let yourself be flexible. Um, as the draft starts to unfold, I have watched some people force some zero RB that I thought was kind of funny because the way that the draft fell, like in there, and you see this all the time, you, you notice it most when you're not in position to scoop the value. You're like, look at this person. How, how is this still available? How are they getting all these things? And I've watched some people force their strategy 
And then I watched them nearly clock out sitting there going, holy crap, how's this still here? And I'm already down this path. Um, what do I do? And smartly, typically they did still make the right decision and say, well, whatever. I have five receivers, but I'm just going to go ahead and take another one because mm-hmm. this, it, it was just the best player. Um, but I find I find it interesting. So I try to leave myself flexibility because I do find that when I draft like 30 teams, some of my best teams were I really left myself open to let the room you know, show me their hand in the first couple of rounds. Yep. And then I just would dominate from there. Yeah. The adjustment is, is critical. I had the top pick in one of my family leagues and it's pretty competitive. You know, cousins, we go cutthroat to each other. Mm-hmm. Got Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> came back around at the turn and I was absolutely going to double tap DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson. I mean, I had it in my head and Antonio Gibson was there and mm-hmm. I took him. And I'm battling, and I would say, except for a 73-yard reception, I don't know if that was really a great choice last week, but I think you have to leave flexibility. Part of me wishes I had stuck to my guns and gone with the wide receiver in that league, but I do think that's important. If a player drops to you, you have to be able to take advantage. It just depends on where the room goes. You can't stick to a strategy if you see a value that comes, you know, if a tight end like a Darren Waller was dropping to the end of round two, you got to be able to pounce and pivot um, if the opportunity presents itself. Exactly. At this point, I feel the San Francisco offense is a puzzle that Sigmund Freud would enjoy. I'm just going to say a name, and I want to get your thoughts rest of season. Jimmy G versus Trey Lance. I don't know because Trey Lance has not had a tremendous amount of game action in the last year. If he's ever going to turn over the offense to him, is Jimmy G a safe starter for this team in seasonal this year, or do you think eventually Trey Lance will take over? I think Lance will eventually take over. You know, we're not seeing practice every day. Um, but I, I'll tell you what, like watching the games, Jimmy G doesn't do anything for me. And I think yep, you're in a tough I division. I mean, the Seahawks are good. The Cardinals are good. The Rams look really good. So I think eventually, I think Kyle Shanahan probably gets backed into a corner on this at some point, And he's just going to have to try to see what he can do to give the offense a spark. Um, because I just, I just don't see it. Um, with Garoppolo. I do believe Garoppolo is a fine starter if your defense is playing really well and he's being hyper-efficient, but neither, neither of those things are happening right now. You know, Jimmy G has always been more of a low A-dot, intermediate A-dot player, but the offense was much more accustomed to creating big plays. His yards per attempt are way down. Um, I mean, this is a below average offense. This offense, let's look, as much as we all love Kyle Shanahan, this, this offense doesn't look good. Running back. Try to figure this one out. Whoever is the running back, not only Dwayne has a great opportunity, but has a fantastic fantasy playoff schedule here. Elijah Mitchell was doing great. Only a 28.8 BMI, 24 percentile per player profiler. Trey Sermon came back. Jeff Wilson is lingering. I have some attachment to Jeff Wilson, Dwayne. I've not figured out yet. Where are you going in this backfield rest of the season? Yeah, I think for now I have to lean to Elijah Mitchell um, just because – Man, Trey Sermon, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, I was, Trey Sermon was a player that I drafted a lot this year in the sixth and seventh rounds as part of my anchor. Um, you know, I, I wasn't as comfortable with Javante in the fifth, but when I was getting Sermon at the end of the sixth or sometimes in the beginning of the seventh, I was, I was pouncing on that um, just because of the offense that he plays in. But I mean, if you look at it so far, I mean, when Mitchell has been in the games, um, the things that we talked about earlier, um, 63% of the short down and distance. Uh, he was handling half the carries inside the five. 
Uh, he was in a route 35% of the time, you know, playing 61% of the snaps. This last week, Sermon, you know, got the 59% of the snaps. He handled roughly half, you know, 48% of the rushing attempts, was in a route 45% of the time. Um, and he handled 60%, you know, of the short down and distance. So, um, but he didn't, he just didn't look, he didn't look very good. And it's not that Mitchell Agreed. looked great. <laughs> Mitchell looked explosive, but yes. not sure what to do. You know, so, um, you know, man, I think I have to lean to Mitchell right now, but I hate it because Trey Sermon, you know, I want it to be Trey Sermon. I will say that Matt Waldman put something out yesterday, um, just shining a little bit of light, just saying, look, I mean, the guy was in concussion protocol, you know, all week, you know, who knows how much he was really getting to practice, you know, via limited, you know, sessions. And maybe they just weren't comfortable with him on passing down. So they decided to put, you know, use check out there for those. And next mm-hmm. week he gets that opportunity if Elijah Mitchell's missing. So definitely something to be monitoring. But if I if you just said, hey, you got to pick one right now, it says Elijah Mitchell. I do like Jeff Wilson. I just I feel like it's still so far away. <laughs> There's still time for one of these other players to assert themselves. Elijah Mitchell, uncertain explosiveness. I think you just named the podcast away right there. Uh, last one, Brandon Ayuk. <laughs> Brandon Ayuk, yeah. talented guy. And I have to tell you, I – compared Kyle Shanahan to Kaiser Soze because we were the, the social media was all about Mac Jones and then it wasn't Mac Jones and social media was all about Trey Sermon and now it's not Trey Sermon and certainly the Brandon Ayuk benching or being relegated to punt returns was not in the plans he did sort of move forward although he dropped an easy Jimmy G touchdown that he put on the money there at third down but Brandon Ayuk is he coming around here yeah, it looks a lot better. So week one, only 54% of the routes, 0% tar. Everything else was just a zero, bad. <laughs> 59% of the routes, so just a slide uptick. Week two, managed to get you know 7% of the targets. But this last week, it was way better. 90% of the time, Jimmy G dropped back to pass. Brandon Ayuk was running a route. He was targeted 17% of the times. Targets per route run, still not great, 14%. But he accounted for 22% of the air yards, and he had 100% of the end zone targets. Uh, and 33% of his targets were on play action. That's another interesting one because a play action target, especially, uh, you know, in these offenses that are good at running play action, but overall play action targets are worth, you know, 10 to 15% more or 10 to 20% more for receivers. There's a few variables that go into it, but that's the gist mm-hmm. of it. Worth 10 to 20% more than a regular target. And so that helps guys like AJ Brown, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, because yep. they see a ton sure. of play action looks, which are designed to really just give them a little more space. They get more yards after the catch a lot of times in that situation. So yeah, with Ayuk, I do believe we are in a good spot now. Um, and I think he is a solid, I would say, I would put him low end wide receiver three. Here's my concern. I want your thoughts. Like the premise around Ayuk was that he looked so good that maybe he could really take the step forward and be the leader of this offense, right? Or at least it's him and Kittle together, Debo relegated to this more tertiary. They create some touches for him, but not going to get a lot of work. Well, now that we've seen Debo come out and be more than that this year, we know Kittle, even though he's not doing great so far, is going to get his looks. My concern now is even if Ayuk's getting all this playing time, I I kind of think the idea that he becomes the alpha on the team is probably not happening. Happening, And this is a team that runs the ball as much as anyone. They run the ball 50% of the time. So there's not a lot of targets to go around. So that's my concern with Ayuk, even though we're seeing – that's why you know he was drafted as a wide receiver too. 
But I think knowing all the facts we know today, even if he's playing, I think he's a wide receiver three. Yeah, it's a great point. I think a lot of the issue with Ayuk, where he was bolstered last year as a potential focus of the offense, was this lack of completed air yards for Debo Samuel. I mean, he had two completed air yards. Everything with Debo last year (laughs) on a 60% snap share was short or behind the line of scrimmage. So I think people were trying to relegate Debo to sort of something that he, you know, a lot less than what he really was. He's now stepped forward. He's much better metrically across the board. He looks every bit of an alpha in a, in a pretty, like you said, conservative San Francisco offense. I don't think Debo would be a number one in, in an explosive passing attack, but I think for he reminds me of uh, Anquan Bolden, is what I would say. Yeah. Is somebody like that who he can be. So Ayuk now is a much better fit for the secondary explosive feast or famine, I don't know, Mike Williams role, if you will, to Keenan Allen. But I think it was a little bit of a nebulous feel as to what Debo could be, even though he was a second round pick, even though pretty much six feet, 214, 448 speed. That's what I think it was. I think last year there were some residual effects, whereas you're right. I don't think an offense can be built around Brandon Ayuk as the top receiving option, but he is very comfortable in that second explosive role. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and Debo's look great. I mean, he's sitting at 34% of the targets. <laughs> I mean, he's had 52%, 27%, and 28%. So yep. uh, Samuel, wow. If you if you got in, you know, you were getting him in the seventh and eighth rounds of drafts. So that's one of the stills of uh, the 2021 you know draft season so far. Can't do better than that. I love being contrarian with my wagers each week. One of the biggest monetary wins this past week was the Dolphins plus three and a half at Vegas. Everyone was on the Raiders 2-0 coming back. Two big wins there over Steelers and the Ravens. It wasn't easy, Dwayne, but we got there. What was your takeaway here for the Miami offense? It's going to have Jacoby Brissett under center for quite some time. They only had like 70 yards passing midway through the third quarter, but then they got it together late. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because it it, lo- it looks terrible, like to your point, and then they were able to salvage the day. What I found the most interesting is, and, and this could have been game script, it could be something we just got to keep an eye on, but Brissett was really, you know, peppering the inner you know the short underneath and intermediate areas of the field in the middle of the field and so it was pretty much all to Jalen Waddle and to Mike um, Gusecki so they had 17 targets um, inside the numbers between just the two of them (laughs) so um, if that's the case um, and it's just one data point um, and I need to go back like I haven't got to the Colts yet but I wanted to go look at Brissett and just look at him historically I don't know if there's something you can look at quickly but um if this is something where he likes to stay inside the hashes, I do remember him throwing the ball quite a bit to some of the tight ends in Indianapolis. Um, but it could be an issue for Parker and for Fuller. Um, so, you know, he is pushing, he did push the ball down the field more in the second half last week. He was at, he was at a 9.8 a dot, you know, whereas the week before he was just under a six, you know, after playing about 80% of the snaps once Tua was knocked out. So that was encouraging. Yeah. So when you look at their offense, here's what I like. Um, the pace is good. Um, the volume is decent. The efficiency is just the efficiency. The efficiency is just not probably going to be there, right? You're gonna you're gonna be living on volume. So I think Waddle is a nice wide receiver, low end wide receiver three. I really believe uh, Parker and Fuller are more of wide receiver four types who can give you a wide receiver three week. Last week, Fuller was only out there for not just right at seventy percent of the routes. So seventy percent of the routes is fine if you play for 
the Rams or if you play for a hyper explosive offense. But when you play for an offense that's just really depending on, you know, pure volume um, and your quarterback is not targeting the area of the field that you're working, that's going to be problematic probably for Fuller. He's still going to, he'll end up coming up with some Will Fuller plays. But I think this is a downgrade for him dealing with Jacoby Brissett versus what Tua had been working on all offseason, which was just really pushing the ball down the field outside the numbers. Um, so I think it probably ends up being a good thing for 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 Mike Gusecki, for Jalen Waddell. Um, but, man, I never trust Mike Gusecki. I don't know about you. I've seen these trends with him in the past. Routes up, routes up, routes up, targets up, tar- targets up, targets up. And then all of a sudden the next week falls off a cliff because he's one of these players that – he gets stuck in these games where all of a sudden his routes drop down to 60 or 55%. It's maddening. And even in his best games, he barely gets to 70%. So he's nowhere near like the thresholds that we want for every week production from tight end. You don't have to tell me about Mike Gusecki. I put him in my DFS Look Ahead Fantasy Labs article as a fade last week. And then he goes out and gets 10 receptions and 12 targets for 86 yards. You were right about Brissett. In the two seasons, Brissett, that he's played at least 15 games. That's 2017 and 2019. In 2017, his air yards per attempt, only eight. That was 25th among quarterbacks. And then in 2019, uh, 7.8, that was 24th. I mean, that's where he's going to pepper. If Mike Gusecki doesn't get consistency with Brissett, he is never going to get it because certainly I just don't see him taking deep shots down the field. He's a great backup quarterback given that two is hurt, but uh, his pattern is pretty clear on where he's going to go and what he's going to favor. Dwayne, we've done this every week. Make a case against one of your guys, one of your flag plant preseason guys. It can be a guy that is off to a great start that you're looking good right now that maybe you say, you know, if it, if it doesn't click rest of the year, here's why. Or someone you like that did not get off to a great start that you're like, maybe I was wrong. Give me the argument here against one of your flag plants, let's say, in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my biggest flag plant was Aaron Jones. And it was all based on the fact that how well he had played when he had been given opportunities in the two minute offense and in the long down and distance, but they had really chosen to let Jamal Williams have those roles. Um, And I just did not see AJ Dillon playing in those roles. So I felt that the assumption that AJ Dillon was going to have standalone value one and be worth an eighth round pick um, was wrong. I felt the assumption that he was just going to fully assume um, Jamal Williams's touches and that Aaron Jones would just continue to be the back that he had been. I, I just thought they were off um, based on everything that I was researching. And so far that's worked out really well. Pretty much everything that Jamal Williams has left behind from a passing standpoint has all gone to Aaron Jones. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. The rushing attempts left behind, um, almost all of those have gone to Dylan. Um you know, Aaron Jones has picked up about 5% of those as well. So I had Aaron Jones inside my top four. I had it as, you know, the big three, CMC, um, Cook, and Kamara. And then I had Aaron Jones right there. Um, and I was telling people, basically, once once Stefan Diggs was off the board in the first round um, and your, your top tight end was gone, like Aaron Jones should really be your pick. Now, having said all that, like my argument, like if I had to make an argument, you know, against me, it would still be that there is second round draft capital tied up in A.J. Dillon. Um, this team is completely blown, you know, their offensive picks. <laughs> and so I could feel the pressure to want to show something. Um, you know, um, I feel pretty confident though. I mean, but that, that would be the argument, you know, it is still a young player. Um, they could start to give him more carries inside the five so far they've split the short down and distance work. So that would probably be the best angle. Typically the short down and distance work is better way to think about, um, forget inside the five. Sometimes that just comes down to, 
how the offense got down there, who was in the game, you know, it's very, and there's not a, it's a small sample size for most teams, but if you look at short down and distance, which is second, third or fourth down and one to two yards to go, typically that back correlates very highly to who's the back inside the five as well. And so while Aaron Jones has carried 100% of the attempts inside the five so far um, and done really well, and he he's actually performed well in that space in the past, the short down and distance um, snaps overall are split 50-50 between the two. So what you could see as the season goes on is you actually see A.J. Dillon start to, that actually translates into he actually starts getting half of the carries inside the five as well, which would obviously um, hurt the upside for Aaron Jones. I still think he, even in that case, would be in top six running back because he's using the passing game. I've always struggled with Cliff Kingsbury. He was not a successful winning percentage coach in college. Came here to the NFL. Offense was sort of a horizontal raid offense, if you will. But they are 3-0 and in a division they're tied with the Panthers. Go figure, out in the NFC West. Rondell Moore or Christian Kirk? Moore splashed two weeks ago. Who do you think is the better value there moving forward? So Rondell Moore, look, targets per route run are great. He's still number one on the team. The problem is when you're only out there for 44% of the routes, you're not getting there. It just doesn't matter. I mean, you're going to be far too inconsistent. You could still have, you know, a boom week like he did, but it's going to be very rare uh, to, to get a wide receiver five production out of a receiver. I'd have to go back and like actually look at this and all my utilization data. I should do sure. this and tweet about it, but mm-hmm. it's extremely rare to post a top five PPR score on only 57% of the routes. Like you have yeah. to have some extreme luck factor going yeah. on. So here's what the positive for more is they are targeting him a lot when he's on the field, but about half of his targets come on screens. So if all of a sudden you're on the field more, the next question for Rondell Moore, if he can do that, is, well, what else can you do? Because teams aren't just going to let you run screenplays if you're out there 80% of the routes. Um, so th- that's the issue with Moore. I love Christian Kirk. He's playing in the slot almost all the time. Moore basically has to wait a lot to get into the 10 personnel offense, which is four receivers to get on the field. Kirk is typically on the field 100% of the time when they're in 11 um, he leads the team in end zone targets. Um, he's second on the team in third and fourth down targets. Uh, 35% of his targets are coming on play action. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff to love around Christian Kirk. I think he's a solid wide receiver three the rest of the way. Um, he's basically what everybody hoped LaVisca Chenault would be when they were taking yeah. him in the sixth and seventh round. If you were to draft today, the answer would be in the sixth or seventh round, Christian Kirk. If you're on Fear Factor, uh, my goal is to get a fantasy football, fantasy analyst Fear Factor or Survivor, Dwayne. But if you're on Fear Factor, what's the one thing that would cause you to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to tap out of this? Never, ever, ever would I allow someone to like put me in something and bury me like and have to sit in that for like an hour. Man, that freaks me out. When I think about like elevators don't bother me. Um, Things like that, some some triggers of um, claustrophobia, that trigger some folks like don't really bother me at all. But if I specifically think about certain things like being put in a coffin or something like that, and then being buried and then saying, Hey, you just got to sit in there for yourself by for 30 minutes or an hour. I don't know if I'd make it. I think I would have a panic attack. Lower L4, L5 disc herniation in my back forced an MRI. And I can tell you that was not a fun experience, Dwayne, being in that MRI right there up close and personal with a disc bulging into your spinal cord. That was a Mm. hell that I wish on no one. So I do understand (laughs) that. The New England backfield, James White now going to be out for a little bit. Is it J.J. Taylor time with the Patriots? 
Man, you never know with the Patriots. Golly, <laughs> J.J. Taylor was active last week, and guess what? It was Brandon Bolden time. Yeah. Brandon Bolden yeah. basically took over all the work for James White. Um, I really like J.J. Taylor, though. Like He is a player that I actually wrote about. I think I actually tweeted about it last week before the game, that if anything were to happen to James White, blah, 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 like – uh, hopefully it wasn't before the game. Maybe it was in the game, right? Maybe once the injury happened, because that would be bad. That look, if he's out for extended extended period of time, this could mean more. You know, Taylor is the guy that I had really more as the white handcuff. But then they did the thing with Bolden, so we'll have to see. I do think in deeper formats, like he's definitely a minimum fab type player. You want to get him on your roster if you've got some room to rotate some guys at the end. Just see what happens because the the Patriots are the type of team that. They'll come out this week, and it will be J.J. Taylor in the white role, and Brandon Bolden will just be special teams again. Or we'll just hear they sign LeGarrette Blunt again and just throw everything out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we talked about Trey Lance. Want to get your thoughts. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, uh, Trevor Lawrence, not a great Sunday for quarterbacks. Who do you like out of that group? I, I think Mac Jones is going to get it going. Fields is uber talented, but that offensive line is terrible. Not sure about Lawrence there struggling with Jacksonville. And Zach Wilson's had multiple interception problems. Although, to be fair, he's faced the Patriots and the Broncos, Belichick and Fangio back-to-back. Who do you like there out of those four? Yeah, for fantasy purposes, I still think it's Lawrence. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because they're running a ton of plays, there's a lot of volume. Um, Mm -hmm. He's throwing the ball more than the rest of them. And this last week, just kind of a sneaky, like this is something that I wrote up in the utilization report this week. Something we expected to see more of from Lawrence was really more scrambling and more design rushing plays. And we had not seen any of that. But this last week, we did catch a glimpse of it. Um, They actually used him, and I don't have it right in front of me, but I want to say 15% of the design rushing attempts actually went to Trevor Lawrence this last week, and he did scramble a few more times. So him getting his legs involved, that was really part of his profile, right? That's what we like. So he was 12% of the design rushing attempts after being 0% in week two and only 6% in week one. If he could get that number to, say, 15%, and then his scrambles in week three, 7% of his dropbacks, 6% the week before, 0% week one, if he could be somewhere around 15% and 7 that would really create a new floor for him um, that we haven't seen so far. And if he could just, we know he's throwing the ball enough that honestly it can't really be worse than what he's done so far. And what I like is he's pushing the ball down the field. His average depth of target is still a 10.2, despite his yards per attempt only being a 5.3. So there's still an opportunity to hit big plays with Marvin Jones and uh, DJ Chark on the outside. And now if we get some of this rushing volume, I like that. Um, The thing with Justin Fields um, what we wanted to see from an underlines as far as his rushing attempts were there. So I'm willing to go back to the well if he gets to play again. Um, he didn't look good. Several times he was sacked, he was about to scramble. Like his scrambles probably would have been around 15 or 20% for the week instead of down in the single digits. Um, but Miles Garrett was chasing him down <laughs> before he could yeah. get going. He just, he seems sluggish in every aspect of the game, whether it was reading the field and getting rid of the ball to deciding when to take off and scramble with the ball. So I would expect those things to improve. He had a rush, for, a rough first game, but look, he's going to be in line for 20% of the design rushing attempt. So that historically, basically, as long as you don't completely crap the bed, like you did last week in the passing game, you're going to have some good weeks. And folks think back, like think to Tim Tebow. Think back to mm-hmm. now we're in a different league, right? It, it, Tim Tebow couldn't finish as the QB one in today's passing league. 
But still, the, the point is still true around the legs. And Tebow was a terrible passer. Think back to Terrell Pryor and some of those weeks he got to start at quarterback for the Raiders and the finishes that he put up and how people won some money in DFS. Justin Fields still fits in that ilk. Um, so I'm, I'm still holding on to him in my season longs. I'm not dumping him. We'll have to see if he's going to play this weekend. And I, I like him. Actually, I haven't studied DFS, but if he starts this weekend, like that's the type of play where everybody's just puking their guts out. And if he comes with salary relief, you know, over on DraftKings, I would definitely look at him again. You can't overrate recency bias from the prior week. Everyone thinking the Browns had trouble stopping the Texans. So here come the Bears, no problem. Bears did not have a good performance, but that does not mean next week that we're going to see Justin Fields getting sacked four times every single time and struggling there. Um, Something was put out, I remember seeing that the Bears had – 19 more yards than Justin Tucker's field goal or 19, 19 fewer than Justin Tucker. <laughs> That's a great you know, one. I see yeah. that. Yeah. That I, awesome. You know, you, yeah, you can't, you can't go by last week. So yes, Justin Fields has all the intent and all the ability here to turn this around quickly. Dwayne, amazing work. I could talk to you for another hour. You got to get to the utilization report. Of course, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's okay, last man. question. We will get you out of here. Give me the bold prediction for the rest of the season. Something that you think you feel strongly about here as we head into, you know, a season that has 18 weeks. So we're talking about weeks 15, 16, 17 for the fantasy playoffs. Give me the Dwayne McFarlane context matters. Bold prediction. Ignore all of the folks out there panicking about Robert Woods. Look, we see this all yeah. the time. He's going to be a wide receiver too. Unless you believe at age 29.4, he's cooked. Mm-hmm. We have no evidence of this. You know, it can happen, right? We've, we've seen receivers at this age start to drop off some. But I do not anticipate that by the end of the year, Cooper Cup will be at 36% of the targets and Robert Woods will be at 20. Even if that mm-hmm. number moves to 30 versus 26 or 25, that's going to be a big upgrade for Robert Woods, who's normally been a 22 to 24% player with a lesser quarterback. Robert Woods is still going to bring value. And look, NFL defenses, now they're watching this film. What are, They typically watch three weeks. What are they going to see? What is every defensive coordinator going to see lighting up everything that they're watching? Cooper Cup. And yeah, he's harder to take away because he's in the slot. But defenses will focus on Cooper Cup. And when they do... It's going to go to Robert Woods. I said the same thing about Mark Andrews last week. I said, look, eventually teams are going to have to pay more attention to Marquise Brown and the other players. And when they do, the routes and everything is there. They're there for Andrews. Robert Woods is in the same spot. His routes are fine. His targets are still at 20%. That's great. Targets per route run, 21%. That's solid. Um, you know, 29% of the end zone targets, a third of the end zone targets on a team that scores a lot of touchdowns. That's still really good. He gets a quarter of the third and fourth down targets. So when Matt Stafford really needs someone, Robert Woods is still number two. That's only 4% behind Cooper Cup. So Robert Woods, go by low. He's still going to be a wide receiver too. Like this is the ultimate, you know, don't panic while everyone else is panicking moment. The Robert Woods nader, take advantage. Folks, Dwayne McFarlane, amazing work for PFF, does the utilization report, does the Fantasy Football Hustle podcast with the great Brian Drake and the Fantasy Football PFF podcast with Ian Harditz. Follow him on Twitter at Dwayne McFarlane. Dwayne, excellent work. We appreciate a few minutes. Great insight into numbers and metrics and how we can relate them and apply them here, which, of course, we love at Rotoviz. Thank you so much for a few minutes. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. 
contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.